Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Thursday, September the 10th of 2020. Uh, we have begun this week studying on Psalm 74 and just all the things that the Lord has allowed us to glean from it has been powerful, I would say, uh, and, and very insightful, you know, and, and challenging and, and comforting to our hearts. And we're so glad that you're able to join us today once again on our podcast. Those of you who have been with us for a while know what we do. We simply open up the Word of God. We don't come to you with other books, this, that. We come to you with the Word of God and, and, and with a prophetic lens of what is taking place in this hour. And, and if you have ears and if you are looking around and seeing a lot of things are going on in this hour, and God is, is, is making it known, he's speaking, and, and, and that's what we're trying to do is, is, is speak to you in a relevant way. Because in reality, what what uh, I believe Revelations nineteen eleven is that the verse, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, where uh, that the whole word of God is is the spirit of prophecy. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. And uh, did I get the scripture right, guys? Revelation nineteen ten. Nineteen ten. I'm sorry. Yeah, I missed it by one. Close enough. Close. But that that's <laughs> that's not going to cut it among amongst these scholars here. But uh, it's close enough. But uh, right, we're right. so happy. We're, we're, we're so happy uh, because the word of God is, is it is prophetic. It is prophetic. It is the spirit of prophecy. It is it is God revealing the end from the beginning, and and that's where we're at today. Today in our panel we have uh, Brother Marty, uh, Brother Fernando, and as always, it is always an honor to be able to study the word of God. This has become our life <laughs> since the yeah. moment. Uh, uh, we met each other. I don't think a, a, a time goes by where we can speak anything but the word of God, you know, and this is the way, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? And it, it, it sharpens our, our, our understanding and, and, and it's good to learn from one another what God is revealing and showing to us. So Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what, what God uh, put in your heart today as we study the Word of God together. Yes, praise the Lord. We're looking forward to today's podcast. This is number three in the series that we're doing on Psalm 74. Those of you that are just joining us, we encourage you to get your Bibles and uh, and your notepads out because these podcasts really are dedicated, at least humbly so. We, we seek to, to bring forth the Word of God in a deeper way and to explore the deeper things that uh, that are there that just can't be explained in, in a in a 45 minute session and so we thank God for the platform that he's made available to us at this time and as long as it's it's available we must use it and that is what we're endeavoring yes. to do to to bring the word of God to those that that are hungry and that uh, that are seeking answers for the times that we're living in the word of God, like Brother Jeremy said, the, the spirit of uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so that is how we've we've been approaching these podcasts is, is searching out prophetic things, prophetic concepts. But more than concepts and ideas or even subjects, what we're endeavoring to do is is to have the heart of the spirit of God. The book of Revelation, when he's addressing the, you know, the, the seven churches, 
in the beginning there, chapter 1 through 3, many times he says, he that has an ear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that's a profound statement that John recorded, the Apostle John, uh, in, 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 in effect, alerting us that the Spirit speaks. <laughs> it sounds like an obvious statement, but, but the Spirit speaks to the churches. And God wants his church to understand what is happening throughout all the generations he has spoken. And uh, as the Bible says, in the last in, in, in the times past, he spoke by the prophets in these last days. He has spoken to us by Jesus Christ. And Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to us to teach us, to guide us, and to lead us, to comfort us, to correct us, and to keep us on the, and counsel us on the narrow path. But also, he said, to show us things that are yet to come. And that is what we are endeavoring to do with these podcasts, is to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so as we, we, we take that kind of an understanding into what we, what we do as we approach the Word of God, we encourage you, those of you that are just joining us, to go back and listen to the, the first two podcasts of this series on Psalm 74. It's a most extraordinary psalm as we get into it and we've been seeing. And we're going to continue today with our study as we look, uh, you know, into Psalm 74, written by the great choir director, selected by King David himself, along with uh, Jeduthun and Heman. Asaph, as well, is also called a seer or a prophet. And the, the series of psalms that he wrote, I think there's 15 in total, uh, are extraordinary in their depth and in the progression of an individual soul as also it applies to the collective body of Christ from any point uh, throughout history from generation to generation. And so God has directed us to this particular psalm because in it, uh, Asaph, which interestingly his name means the gatherer or a gatherer, one who gathers together, it kind of sets the theme of the psalm itself, his very name, because it really begins to unfold as we've been digging into it the entirety of prophetic history and how God would deal with uh, the beginning to the end. Uh, it culminates with the with the return of the Lord. We were discussing a little bit of that off of air, but we'll, we'll be heading there in the coming days. So we, we encourage you to settle down, buckle your seatbelts, and let's continue with podcast number three on Psalm 74, the Psalm and the Maskil of Asaph. And I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy, if you wouldn't mind, Go ahead and begin our study today by reading the first three verses of Psalm 74, and we'll get into our discussion today. In Jesus' name we pray. Brother Jeremy. Amen. Maskeel of Asaph. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thy anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased, of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy had done wickedly in the sanctuary. Praise God. There's so much there in those first three verses. And again, as Brother Jeremy read to us, 
uh, it begins by Asaph calling it a maskil. This is very important because that's a Hebrew word meaning many many things, but but there's great insight gained in how he titled his his poetry here, his his song of worship to the Lord. Uh, the word maskil, as we've said, what Asaph is alerting us to, what it literally means is it's going to require great skill. That's what maskil means. Great skill and deep reflection is going to be necessary to understand what it is he's about to write. And, and, and he wants those who will begin to explore these writings, which were given to him by the Holy Spirit, to understand. Don't just read it through. Uh, without understanding that there are things within it that are profoundly uh, hidden and concealed and can only be unlocked by deep reflection and meditation. You know, all too often, brothers, we we all have this tendency to, to read the Word of God, and, 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 and we need to practice what Asaph is telling us here, and that is is to allow the Holy Spirit to create within us a development in our study and in our reflection of the word of God so that so that we go beyond the simple meaning of the scripture and by the skill of the spirit that we allow to be developed within our own personal life and the practiced art of deep reflection this is this is yeah. something that has to be right it has to be developed um you know, we can read whole portions of the scripture and have absolutely no clue what you just read. <laughs> you might you might draw just a little inspiration here or there, but you, you know, God's word is multi-layered, multi-dimensional, and and it requires deep reflection. But it is a practice and a development of the Holy Spirit that causes us to uh, to, to 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 be brought to these levels of understanding. The Apostle Paul, when he addressed the the Hebrews. In, in Hebrews chapter 5. Can you read that to us real quick before we get into this, Brother Jeremy? Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, let's see what verse that verse is. 14. Verse 14. Yeah, 13 and 14. Let's read those two verses. Well, read 12 through 14. <laughs> okay. Ah, start For with when... verse 11. Wait, start with <laughs> verse 11. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Of whom? We have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull, dull of hearing. Dull, yeah. Dull. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. For, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Wow, I mean, we could spend a long time on what, what the apostle said there, but we want to draw our attention, first of all, to verse 11. He says, there's many things that we have have to say. And he says, but they're very hard to communicate or hard to be to utter to you or to talk to you or to teach you about because you're dull of hearing. That's incredible. 
you know, he, to, 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 uh, to use a descriptive word about how we hear, it is, it is an indication that hearing has to be developed. So there's dull hearing and then there's clear hearing, right? He that hath an ear to hear. And then he talks about the progression of the believer, that it shouldn't be sedentary, but that we're all being brought and should have, like he says in verse 12, the time you should have come to the place where you're teaching the word of God yourself, he said, but you have a need or a deficit to be retaught the very basic principles of God. And then he says that, that they became such as have need of milk. They regressed to the point of being infant children is what he's saying, as opposed to, to, to growing in the things of God and, and progressing to adulthood full age uh, and, 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 and consuming what he terms as strong meat, which belongs to them that are of full age. But the, but the verse we want to draw our attention to is he says that everyone that uses milk is unskillful implying that there are levels of skill in the word of God, in the word of righteousness. That's good. Right. Right? And so this is what Asaph is putting forth as we go back to Psalm 74 when he says, Amaskil. He says, I'm addressing what I'm about to say to those that have great skill developed. So in other words, you know, a baby in Christ who just opens Psalm 74 and begins to read it isn't going to understand a thing. <laughs> Not really. I mean, there might be here right. and there little things, tonight, right? <laughs> but uh, but he's That's exactly implying. What he's saying, brother. Yeah, brother Marty, it almost sounds like it's like an exclusive club, but it's not. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's saying, yeah. look, I, I forewarn you, if you try to read my writings and you're not skillful and exercise uh, uh, to discern both good and evil and the things of God, you're not going to understand what I'm, what I'm saying and, and what I'm declaring, right? And it's so yes. powerful what, what, what he's really saying there. So that's why, you know, uh, there might be some people listening saying, what in yeah. the world are they talking about? <laughs> right. Right? No, I told, but, yeah. But, but, but again, it, it, he said it, strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age. There has to be a, a maturity. That that yeah. is in you, and you 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 have to develop the skill, you know, to understand what Asaph is writing. That's good. You know, you made me think of a, I think it was a dream or something my wife had when she was first saved. She said she got on an elevator in her dream, and I think she was with other believers or something, and she just kind of made her way with the crowd into the elevator, and the elevator went way up to this particular floor. Uh, you know, many, many floors above. The doors open and the people got out. But if I remember correctly, she said the Lord wouldn't let her get out. And 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 then the door shut and took her all the way back down to the to the bottom floor. And and I think she woke up something like that. But she felt like in prayer when she was asking, "Well, what does that mean?" He was like saying, "Look, uh, you are not going to be able to ascend into the things of the Spirit of God by an elevator." by simply pressing a button and being accelerated to the top, he says, you're going to have to take the stairs. <laughs> right? so, right. so that's what you're talking about. You know, really, in essence, is that it is a progression that takes place in the believer's life. 
But the hunger that's developed to learn by the Spirit of God and those that are trying to learn in his word, those are the things that he uses to draw us deeper to himself. It is over time that we develop this skill. But it's a diligence, right? It's like anything you do. You know, you look at uh, use athletics as an example and whatever. It was football, baseball, basketball, tennis, whatever you want to talk about. These elite athletes didn't just fall out of bed. Michael Jordan didn't become Michael Jordan by just putting on a pair of sneakers. As a matter of fact, he got cut from his from his high school team, right? You know, he, he didn't right. even make the varsity. Can you imagine, right? Because we know him as Michael Jordan, but if you actually listen to his, his live story, he talks about the sweat equity that he put in, you know, the, the practice, the thousands of hours of practice to become this, you know, icon of basketball. You know, uh, it, you know I hate to use that that kind of an example, but it does kind of, you know, Paul uses, you know, uh, athletic examples and many of the things that he talks about, you know, striving for the prize and, you know, the one who beats the air, you know, like the boxer, he talks about the training because he wants us to understand that, that this Christian experience, this, this born again experience, we start out as children, but we are being led by the spirit to become something much more than just a baby. And as we enter in, I like what you said about, you know, listen, uh, understand what he's saying. Asaph is saying, is, listen, my writings are going to require uh, that you have a, a skill level in the word of God to understand. But this is why we thank God that he has given us uh, teachers, right? <laughs> and the best teacher of all is the Holy Spirit. So, uh, we, you know, we, we just, it, it, go ahead, brother. <laughs> it's it, 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 it's also a mark of, of Jesus's ministry and um Psalm one gives us a little an insight on 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 the life of Jesus, who he was. In chapter one, verse two, it's speaking about Jesus, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Mm. Speaking about Jesus, that gives us an insight of what was on his mind continually. He was meditating, you know, uh, yes. thinking, pondering. You know, uh, in, on the word of God. And so if Jesus did it, right, and then, <laughs> right, and then it produces the fruit, right? It goes on yes. to produce the fruit because it says that that uh, he shall be he like shall a be. tree that is yes. planted, right? Yes. yes. Which yes. indicates which in the, where is he planted? He says by the rivers of the water, right? Rivers of water, the Holy Spirit. He's basically revealing there in Psalm chapter one that that there is that process that he meditates in the law day and night, right? His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be, right? Mm -hmm. He shall be, yes. indicating over the process of time, he's brought, it, it speaks of great care of the work of the spirit and he's planted by the rivers of water. So it indicates being in one place and being brought to another over time. And once we're planted by the rivers of water, what does it go on to say, Brother Jeremy? In, uh, it says like uh, that bring it forth its fruit in his season. Yeah. His leaf also shall not wither. Yeah. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever he does shall prosper. So, so he brings forth fruit. But notice the fruit isn't brought forth until after he's planted by the rivers, right? But the process begins by the meditative, uh, you know, reflection on the word of God day and night. This is this is time. This is progression. 
but there's also an acceleration that's being uh you know poured forth on the earth right now i believe for those that are seeking god that's why asaph is so important because he is the chief director of praise and worship in the house of god and so there's there's an indication there as we get into this psalm again today uh, as we continue to talk about it that 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 the worship or the heart of the worshiper is mm. is 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 the heart that that's a chief ingredient to being in a position to receive right Good. that's a mystery there and something we could reflect on because that's the progression we see in the temple is it not we start in the outer court we progress to the holy place which is fabulous right but there's yet a place that remains, which is pure worship. That's in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. It's there that the glory appears by way of the blood that was placed on, on the mercy seat, which is for another day. But there's a progression, outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies. It's the same in the Word of God. And this man is a worshiper. It's speaking about access into the very throne room of God in measure, in type where all things because what's in there remember the word of god is in the ark <laughs> aaron's rod that budded you know the manna in the golden pot all of it's there and it lies there until the glory appears and then it, it it becomes revealed so it's with that in mind that asaph begins his his uh his, his psalm with all that deep reflection we're talking about we have to approach it from that aspect because what's going to be unraveled, as we've been seeing over the last two podcasts, are multiple layers of prophetic insight that have have walked their way down the corridors of human history and have come to, to rest flat smack dab in the middle of our times. And that's what we're seeing. But Jeremy, could you read verse 1 again as we get into this real quick? Sure. Maskeel of Asaph. O God, why hast thou cast us off? forever. Why does thy anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Again, just for review, we have to take it from this perspective. We're actually entering into a, an ongoing reflection already of Asaph. What he has just seen from verse uh, 4 through 23 is what he's commenting on in verse 1 through 3. It's as, almost like a postscript commentary and reflection of what he's seen. And one of the keys here that we have to draw our attention to is that he's seeing Israel in exile. That's why he uses the word, why have you cast us off? Why are we disconnected from you, God? What is this all about? He knows why. I mean, he goes on and talks about what happens and what has happened to them. But he's asking the question, uh, why hast thou cast us off? And he uses the word forever. Because what, what he's actually witnessing here, and remember, when he wrote this, Israel didn't even have a temple yet, let alone a second temple. <laughs> they, 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 this is well before. All they had was the tabernacle of David. So it's extraordinary how far God carries him into the future. Because from David until the captivity, uh, the first destruction of the temple that Solomon built, I think it was almost like 400 years. And then from there until the AD 70, 
uh, and the regathering and the rebuilding of the second temple and AD 70 was another, what, another, <laughs> how long was it, brother? Maybe like another 400 and something years after that when they got back. So he's literally seeing almost a thousand years into the future. Incredible. And then from that point, he accelerates to the end of time at another 2,000 years. Almost 3,000 years of history, maybe a little less. 1,500 years to 2,500 years of history is what he saw, all before any of it ever started. Am I making sense there? <laughs> I mean, it's incredible what he sees, yes, how far absolutely. in the future he sees. And, and we have to understand what he's saying here in verse 1, because he is seeing the destruction and the and the dispersion of the of the Israeli people, of the Jewish people, after the Romans have destroyed the second temple. He he's so far in the future that and it has and we have to understand that that he is reflecting after so long that he he uses the word forever. So what we're talking about here is an extraordinary vision a vision that goes beyond the first coming of the Lord, the the death on Calvary, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, uh, 40 years after the ascension, the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel by the Roman government and their exile. He has seen it all the way to then and beyond, indicating that the exile that he witnessed was thousands of years long. And he mm -hmm. cries out and says, why have you cast us off forever? That's the feeling. Are you going to say something, Brother Jer uh, Fernando? I, I keep I keep seeing uh, and reading, or I keep reading and seeing uh, through what Asaph is saying, um, what the prophet Isaiah saw in chapter six of his of his book. Mm -hmm. Right? It's mm -hmm. almost like he has a first uh, hand glimpse into what Isaiah would see later on in the future. Because he talks about, oh, God, why has thou cast us off forever? Why does thy anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Then I read like uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, and it says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Oh, ah, right? that's good, brother. Yeah. Right? And, and, then, and then you make the connection of the three holies, speaking of three types yeah. of wrath that are to come. So mm -hmm. it's... Asaph seen that far into the future as well, and seeing these these things that Isaiah saw uh, transpiring in the future, uh, mm -hmm. which is I think quite a thought. And, and you're you're laying that out, but that's exactly what he's seeing. He's looking beyond, you know, the the, the first temple destruction into the second temple destruction uh, and beyond. And beyond, yes. That's a really good point there. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4. Note it down, you the listening audience. That's a really good scripture there because that is exactly uh, what what's happening. And it's interesting. You made me think of it by turning there that, uh, you know, both of them were caught up into the throne, right, into the Holy of Holies. Right. It made me think of what Brother Jeremy shared yesterday about how Asaph in Psalm 73 talks about right. uh, why wicked prosper right and he says but i didn't understand until i went into the sanctuary right yes yeah right then i understood their end as brother jeremy pointed out yesterday you know really cool insight there 
so this is really what he's talking about. He's been carried by the Spirit of God. He has seen everything. Because remember, he writes 23 verses. He's seen the second coming of the Lord, as we'll see in the coming days. But uh, So when we actually begin the psalm, it's a postscript. It's a reflection. He, you know, How could he possibly understand everything? But he knows what he saw, and he recorded it just as he saw it. Like also, said, you can also say, Brother Marty, is it's like he's like if he's trying to investigate, you know, exactly. <laughs> like, like yeah, trying, yeah. you know, the 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 fate of his people. That's what he's trying to do: investigate the fate of his people, because you know of, of what he saw, what the Lord showed him. So these questions are posed almost like like yeah, like like an invest like he's trying to investigate the fate of his people. Right. That's an excellent you know, way to put it. It's a, it's a, in a fancy word, is he, he's speaking rhetorically, right? You know, it's a rhetorical yes. question. I want to know. <laughs> I'm investigating. I like that. Simpler. But but we know it's beyond, you know, those of you who, who know Bible history, the, the Jewish people, Judah, would be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. So we know that it's beyond that that he's seeing. Why do you say that? Because the Babylonian exile or being taken captive into Babylon and then they came back and rebuilt Jerusalem only lasted 70 years. So he's looking further beyond that because he uses the word forever. I mean, he, he says, is this going to last forever? So so the, so this exile that, that Asaph is seeing is the exile that that was that occurred under the Roman Empire in AD 70 that exile as we all know uh those of us who know the bible history uh, it lasted almost 2000 years it came to an end or the beginning of it came to an end on May the 12th 1948 in our time and 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 that which we'll just put out there like cut and paste it on your computer system, right? We're going to cut and paste it in our, in our thought processes and understand that he, when that began to happen, it was a trigger event to notify, uh, to notify, <laughs> to notify the generation that would witness that, that something has begun, that something has been triggered. If you understand what the spirit is saying, so deep is what this brother saw is as we continue to go on because then he you know it, it, what we see is that you know he, he he has great revelation he then is gleaned if we understand the circumstances of the opening statement is what i'm trying to say we we will understand a lot if we if we understand it from that perspective that what he saw like we've been talking about was so far in the future thousands of years beyond even when the second temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman government to the point that he's asking God, like brother Jeremy said, investigating. That's why he goes on to say the second thing. What does he say was the second thing there? Why does thine anger, Rem brother Jeremy? Uh, anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture. Now in reflecting on this, uh, you know, if you look, if you have a King James Bible, you'll see the word why, right? Uh, but it's written in italics, which means that the people that interpreted what a Asaph was writing, they added the why. But you can read it with or without it. Uh, it Doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? This is what he's asking. 
I don't think the Y belongs there because it makes a huge difference. Because if you add the why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture, then he's investigating and asking the question, why are you pouring out your wrath on your people? But if you take the why away and just read, doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture, I think the question has to be answered with an emphatic no, it doesn't. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because God's sheep are not appointed unto wrath. Isn't that right? We are not appointed unto wrath. Correct. I also see, Brother Marty, uh, um, you know, with that why, it it almost could seem that he's trying to question God, but in a way of, of like, demanding, like, uh, questioning God, but in, with a wrong, I don't know how to say that, but but if you take the why out, if you take yeah. the why out, then then what you see is this, and this is you know this is the way I see it. He's he's getting a prophetic revelation, which causes him to begin to um, what's the word that I use? I forgot. Re- re- he causes reflect. him to investigate. Yeah, to reflect, yeah. investigate, but it doesn't stop there. Then it turns into an intercession because he's. He's asking God to pity, you know, to 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 have mercy on on His people. So so I see kind of a um, I don't know a process transition, uh, revelation, pondering, and then no, that's good, and that and that's that's yes, and that's that's one way we can look at it, right? Because there are ways that we can look at this. But what if what if um if we go a little deeper and, and and look at it from this perspective, I'm just throwing it out there for discussion because I think it, it, it adds a different flavor of, of, of intrigue to the way he's writing. Uh, he says, uh, have you cast us off forever? And then he says, doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? So what he's asking is, is the casting off and the exile an exercise of wrath on your people? Because if it is, mm. he says, I don't get it. Because I thought we mm. were the chosen people. So is it really wrath? Or is it something deeper than that? That's what he's asking. Mm. And the fact that mm. he calls them the sheep of his pasture and this whole psalm is about God's dealing with his church and the world throughout history. (laughs) I think he's himself, like you said, Brother Jeremy, investigating and seeking answers. And he asks the correct question because he says, does your anger smoke again? The answer is no, it doesn't. So there has to be, as, as Asaph begins to process it in the spirit of his own meditation, right? There has to be a reason for what appears to be wrath is actually it isn't. There's something deeper being worked out here is what he's implying. He he speaks well, as a Jew. It's been a long time since we've been in Jerusalem. That's what he saw. We've been exiled for a lot forever. Right? That's what he said. Have you have you right. removed yourself from us forever? And then he, he has a reflective or investigative question that he's asking as he's thinking about it. 
is this wrath and and have you poured it out on your sheep and we know from other scriptures in the new testament that god's people are not appointed unto wrath right and so there's something deeper here that he's beginning to see which leads us to verse 2 because he breaks it down into three categories the conclusion that he comes to answering his own question as revealed by the spirit he breaks it into three separate categories can you read verse 2 Yes. Uh, remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thy inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. <laughs> Man, brothers, I mean, I, I mean, we're looking at the gospel here, but we're looking at big picture stuff, right? Like we started talking about yesterday. Because when he asked that question, and we know scripture from scripture, right? No God hasn't appointed his sheep under wrath. Asaph takes us deeper immediately after that last statement he made. And and and, he, and like we talked about yesterday, he, he appeals to God on that basis and says, remember your congregation, which you purchased of old. And we talked about that yesterday, right? He appeals to the Lord on the basis of before creation. That's what the word means. You you bought us of old. We've been bought by you of old, implying that that this lengthy experience they're going through has deeper meanings. It has its origin, in other words. And I know I can use ten dollar words too many times, but I don't know how else to talk. So you guys got to help me. <laughs> it has its origin in ten in 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 eternity past, before time. He begins to answer his question by reflecting on something before time. You've purchased this congregation of old. In other words, big picture, it, it has been your intention all along to create a people for yourself. We know on the other side of all this in the New Testament that what he was creating was sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's what Asaph is beginning to see and already fully knows by the Spirit and says, wait a minute, this long exile of thousands of years that I've just had the privilege of seeing by your Spirit, it isn't your wrath on your sheep. As a matter of fact, your sheep have always been your intent. So there must be something deeper that's happening here that involves the whole world because your your whole purpose for even beginning creation itself was to create a church, create children. Mm-hmm. And it, then he the, the wrath. Yeah, go the ahead. Wrath of God is the wrath of God, or the uh, that that was coming that he saw was not in doubt. Right, he 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 understand. He sees that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. He's trying to understand, okay, uh, and deservedly so, your wrath is going to be poured out, but but what about your sheep? How will they be preserved? Right? Excellent. That, that's, 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 that's what he's really trying to figure out, and that's the mystery yeah. of God, because we're all deserving right. of the wrath of God, and that's where the plan of salvation is, of, of the coming Redeemer, the coming Messiah. That's, that's 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 he's now he's piercing within the veil, trying to figure out how God is going to 
deal with this situation because he says, all right, I see wrath is coming. I see it way into the future. But now let me appeal to your heart and intercede on behalf of your people. Obviously, he didn't know what the Apostle Paul taught us in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right? That we are not appointed unto wrath. But he he is piercing. He is praying for that answer in Revelation. He is Mm -hmm. reaching now into the future to see the mystery of God unfolding. So he is asking such a profound, man, I feel it right now, such a profound question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he's also teaching us how to search God, which is powerful. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Go ahead, brother. Can he he be asking maybe the question, going back to verse 1, maybe the question he's asking is, how can God be angry with his own people forever? Well, this is the issue, Brother Jeremy. You hit your, right on the head. Both you know, That really adds to what Brother Fernando was saying, too. That's the issue. That's what he discovered. Because he uses the phrase, the sheep of your pasture. And, and here's what we're going to get into, because that's why he transitions and calls them. What's the next thing he calls them? The rod of your inheritance. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're called sheep in verse 1. Now they're called the rod of his inheritance, his possession. But he identifies them as a, as a corrective tool in the hand of God. Now, remember this, and we're going to look at this really quickly today, but you know, maybe we'll get into it more tomorrow. But But remember this that he is identifying God's church in the earth as as a rod, the rod of God, and they belong to him. The church has right. always been, right? The, the church is always meant to be a corrective rod in the hand of God. And whether they're in, whether they mess up or not, one way or another, he's going to use them, his sheep, to bring about his wrath, not on his sheep, but on those who he used to correct his sheep who always take it too far. And as <laughs> as an well, excuse, right. he flips it around and says, I'm going to destroy the heathen for doing what they did to my sheep, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll look at that a little more intensely here, but but this is what he's saying. It's, That's Revel- why he it's, goes, Revelation, it's Revelation 12.5, brother. Uh, church terminology there, uh, the rod of his inheritance. It says that she brought forth a man-child who was to rule mm-hmm. all nations with the rod of iron. Oh, praise and, God. And That's the child good. was yeah. caught up unto God and to his throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's looking all the way into the future yeah. to the very church of God. Incredible, Incredible right? God. Yeah. And it's almost, it's very difficult to to, you know, to describe it with words. The, the the spiritual uh, awareness or, or the sudden moment of clarity of the spirit and what he begins to see is so profoundly deep. Because remember, before he gets to the route of his inheritance, he goes all the way back to the very purpose of creation to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. It's as if he's being led of the Spirit to answer his own question. No, you haven't poured out your wrath upon your people. And the way the Lord was re- explaining it to me by the Spirit, I believe, humbly putting this out there, is that if we look and examine history in how God judged his people, you will always see that there was a remnant preserved. Yeah. And while ju- right, while judgment and wrath came down upon the people, the truth of the matter is is that those that were judged and experienced such fierceness of wrath weren't really his people. They were pretenders, and he judged them such. And in the midst of the outpouring of the wrath, he preserves his people. That's why Asaph is calling them the sheep of his pasture, and he begins to get a revelation of who the real remnant is. It's really a people within a people. It's always been that way. When we talked about Jeremiah uh, and, and his preaching, and what God revealed to him about the separation of the captivity that was taken captive, remember, by Nebuchadnezzar, it left behind Zedekiah, the princes, the false prophet Hananiah, and all those priests and all the people in Jerusalem. People would say that was the people of God, but not in the eyes of God. His sheep had already been removed because his wrath was about to come down in the first instance on his people, uh, on, on those that claimed to be his people, but in fact, he concluded them as not being the sheep of his pasture. The sheep of his pasture he removed before his wrath was poured out on Jerusalem and Judah and the city and its inhabitants in the first outpouring of his wrath. And and by taking them into captivity into Babylon, they are his right. inheritance, right? Right. And their mere presence there became... And the way they were treated became a rod in God's hands to ultimately bring his wrath down on the Babylonian Empire, a type of the Antichrist and his future system. Any thoughts? Right. Yeah, that's what Jeremiah speaks about, right? In the last ver- in the last chapters of his Bible, how now it turned on the wrath turned to Babylon, you know, because they have over- they had overstayed their uh you know, God was using them to bring correction to his people, but they, um, ha, ha, what's, what's the word to use? Their they overstepped um, their boundaries. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so he, that, that brought wrath and judgment to Babylon. But those are his that's people. Ex- that's exactly right. And, and, that, and that's right. And so in effect, they became a, a rod in God's hands for correction of the nations, right? <laughs> that, that's what he's saying here. He begins to suddenly see it. He begins to realize that the sheep of his pasture are much different than the overall congregation. You remember what Jesus told the Pharisees in in his public ministry the first time he came? He said, my sheep hear my voice. He called them his sheep, right? So he identifies them as a people within a people. He had his sheep. And and those that were attacking him claimed to be his people. Yeah. And they claimed to identify with Abraham, right? And he said, You're not Abraham's children, you're children of the devil. <laughs> That's what he told them. <laughs> That's incredible, right? I'll, I'll say this, Brother Marty. If we can see it prophetically, when uh the the people of of Israel and particularly Judah were taken captive to Babylon. Um, for self-preservation, for their good, the Lord said, right? 
Um, yeah. God dealt with the people that stayed in Jerusalem and, and listened to those false prophets, um, and the wrath of God came upon them, right? Uh, That's right. And, and, and they were destroyed, right? So yeah. we have we have we have a, an apostate church that's in Jerusalem listening to these false prophets in Jerusalem. Yeah. We have the uh, uh, the servants of the Lord, Daniel included in, in those uh, uh, in, in 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 that crowd. You have uh, yeah. Ezekiel, right, included in that crowd. It's a type and shadow of what would happen to the church, right? Right. Seventy A.D. Uh, the destruction came to the temple, but what it caused is for the church to go out to the Gentile world. That's right. To preach the gospel, to be that rod of iron, right, to the nations of the world. So we, yeah. we're, what we see there is prophecy. Uh, it's all pointing to prophecy. That's exactly what took place, right? Jerusalem exactly was destroyed in 70 AD. But yes. what happened? His, his disciples went throughout the whole world and preached the gospel. Right? Yeah. So that's 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 in type and shadow of what's taking place today, a separation and a coming out of right, right? Uh, this, this mm -hmm. apostate system. Yeah. And so forth and so on. Just wanted to bring that out. Amen. Go ahead, brother Jeremy. You were going to say? No, I, no, I don't want to. There's we could say so much on this, like you know what I mean. But I want to keep in the in the in the line that we're going. Yes. So that's what we're discussing here, how he reflects, how he investigated his own thought. What he was shown was it was a deeply far-reaching exile that went beyond Babylon and went beyond the Roman yeah. destruction of Jerusalem into the far future of millennial. I mean, thousands mm -hmm. of years, uh, because he's being shown by God the whole of what he's doing and, and what appeared to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, a question of wrath was actually uh, meant to be a a signpost to us that the answer to the second question he asks in verse one, does thine anger smoke against the sheep? He identifies particular group of thy pasture. Yeah. The answer is no, it doesn't. They're not appointed to wrath. As a matter of fact, then he goes right. on and begins to reflect, right? On before the foundation of the world, we were purchased. That's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So he he begin. <laughs> My God, we don't have the vocab. I don't at least <laughs> to describe the awesomeness of that thought yeah. of a of a man who lived almost twenty five hundred years ago before Jesus ever showed up. I mean, it's incredible right. what he was shown. Right? He's shown big picture. And then God's Holy Spirit takes him and begins to reveal to him even deeper truth about who his congregation is and what their mission and purpose is in connection with the right. overall picture of what God is actually doing in the purpose of creation. It's an incredible thought. It's an interesting truth, right? Because Israel is God's corrective instrument. That's literally what he goes on to say. They're the rod of your inheritance. And and we were redeemed by the Lord through the blood of the Lamb, just as Israel was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb coming out of Egypt. Now consider this, though, like you were just pointing out, brothers. In Egypt, uh, they were in Egypt and, and, and they were captive. 
and then there uh the rod or the wrath of God comes upon Pharaoh, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And he leads captivity captive by Moses. He takes them out. Right. That's the first wrath of God. We're talking about three separate wraths of God that were being poured out, right, which is being revealed here. The second one was in Babylon, right? Again, uh, a captivity is taken captive. But when when they became the rod of God or the corrective hand of God through his people, the captives are freed, right? They're led out by Ezra. <laughs> he took captivity captive and came back to Jerusalem. The The, the children of Israel were taken uh, out of captivity by Moses and led to the promised land. Joshua brings them in. But there remains a correction, if you will, or a final wrath, the rod of his inheritance. There's a final wrath that is yet to come. There remains a wrath that hasn't been poured out yet on the Roman Empire. That's right. which, Which has encompassed by the evil spirit of its influence the whole world. See, most people are historically deficient, and so they don't realize that the very influence of of the Roman Empire has gripped the entire planet now as we come to the final days of history. Right. But they have something yet to answer for. And that is the destruction that occurred in AD 70. That's right. When they burned that temple down and they crucified over a million Jews and they chased the church out of Jerusalem, which like you were saying, brother, Fernando, it caused the church to go to the whole world. Right. They fled Jerusalem. We're coming back to Jerusalem <laughs> you know, as a church. But then the Roman Empire simply morphed itself into, it went from a great military power into the very influence that forged Western civilization. And it spread itself around the West and into the West, finally and ultimately coming to rest its influence on the United States of America. Right. And, and 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 now the whole world, as the book of Revelation is going to tell us, that fourth beast that Daniel saw, which was the Roman Empire, is going to resurrect who is able to make war with the beast. It's as if his deadly wound was healed. Now I'm talking to people that know the Bible, right? The deadly wound that is healed, that is spoken of in the book of Revelation, it's not an assassination attempt on the Antichrist. He received the wound by the sword. The sword comparing Scripture with Scripture is the Word of God. The Roman Empire was wounded by the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And it morphed into a pseudo-Christianity that became the Roman Catholic Empire. It never died. It simply became right. a religious institution, right? right. And it right. was from that, that that the world was then civilized throughout the West. But when the book of Revelation indicates that the beast will be healed from his deadly wound, that's when you see this system rise and merge itself with the false prophet, right? His deadly wound is healed. And so why am I saying all that? 
and I've probably lost a lot of people right now, but please take your time, go back and, and listen to what, what you don't understand and replay it and replay it and search the scriptures. What I'm trying to say is that when the Roman Empire executed their judgment on the Jewish people, in, in essence, God's wrath came upon that people that rejected the Messiah, Jesus. Right. But but the church made up of Jew and Gentile, it's scattered to the four corners of the earth, and the remnant of the Jews also went with them. But there there yet remaineth an account, just like Bab just like Pharaoh's Egypt was judged and his people were taken out, just like Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was judged and his people were let go and taken out, they were judged with the wrath of God. His people that were there became the, the impetus for bringing judgment or the wrath of God down upon those Gentile beast systems, the foreshadows of the Antichrist. There must come a judgment on Rome, and Rome has never been judged yet. Not yet, right? but, it, but it's coming. And that, brothers and sisters, <laughs> is what Asaph saw. It's incredible. Wow. He sees the final wrath coming on the final empire. That's why he identifies right off the bat this long period of time wondering, when are you going to do it, right? And then he begins to have this revelation, which we've already talked about, about, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to take my thought. The Holy Spirit takes his thoughts back to before creation and says, this is much bigger picture than I've even imagined. And then he begins to see the sheep of God's pasture as actually a corrective tool in the hand of God that belongs to him to bring about ultimate wrath on everything that is in rebellion. Now check this out, because he goes on to the third thing, which is what, Brother Jeremy? After he says, "Thy the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, what does he say? It says, um, his purchase of old. This Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. This Mount Zion. Third thing he brings up. Number one, this is the congregation which you purchased the vote. Number two, we are the rod of your inheritance which you've redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Right. Number three, uh, and this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. He identifies the city of Jerusalem as where you have dwelt. So when he sees what he sees, God's not there. Uh, but we know from Scripture that he's coming back there. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. So with each judgment or with each outpouring of his wrath, understand this. What he's saying is it first begins with the Lord removing his presence from his people. Then comes the wrath. He removes his, his presence from a, from a compromised people. He seems to take his sheep of his pasture and and protects them up under the midst of it. But he brings his wrath down on the people that were supposed to be his that reject him. And those by which he allows that wrath to come down on on those backslidden people, he then in turn turns and, and judges them as well. But he always preserves the sheep of his pasture. But it always begins by him removing his presence. That's why he says, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast, past tense, dwelt. Dwell. Mm -hmm. Where you used to dwell. So your presence has been, will be removed in order that this wrath may come. Now, check this out, because we know there's wow. been 
there's been two wraths already poured out, right? We, we talked about the wrath that was poured out by Nebuchadnezzar, a type of the Antichrist in the global system under the Babylonian Empire, 587, somewhere in there, B.C., 586. The second time it occurred was the Roman Empire, A.D. 70, right? They destroyed the second temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the Jewish people. The church was scattered, and the Jews scattered to the four corners of the world. I want to show you something really quick. And, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more tomorrow. But remember, let's let's take a look at these three wraths that that have been poured out, or one is yet to be poured out. But there were two wraths, and the patterns are striking because this is what what Asaph is revealing. We see it in the scripture. Remember what we said? He said, "Your presence that used to dwell here." He's indicating that when the presence is removed, the wrath came. And and it, and it also triggered events that would bring about wrath, ultimate wrath, on the foreshadows of the final system that would emerge at the end of history. But it starts, let's take a look at this. Remember, and, and you'll find this, this removing of the presence, we can find it in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 11. I mean, chapter 8 through chapter 11. And, and when Ezekiel has his vision in the first outpouring of God's wrath, uh, it's only five years away from when that wrath ultimately came, when he removes his presence, and then it sets in motion the time that will lead to the ultimate destruction of the backslidden church. The backslidden church is always judged before the the one that God allowed to bring that judgment or that persecution upon it. Now, look, let's take a look at this. Brother Jeremy, could you read to us? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. Let's take a look at this. We're talking about what he says, uh, Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. God always removes his presence first, and that's what a Asaph was revealing would happen. He takes his presence away, and we know as we went into history that that presence was removed because <laughs> he's about to bring his judgment down upon those who have corrupted his house. Look right. at what happens here. Right? Look what happens here. Before the wrath, his presence must be taken away. Brother Jeremy, that's what Ezekiel saw. It would be five years after he sees this that the ultimate wrath would come down, but the presence had to be removed, and that's what happened. Check this out. Read verse 22 through 24, would you? Or 25, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them. And the glory of the, of the God of Israel was over them above. And, that, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into the Chaldea, to them of the captivity. So the vision that I had seen went up from me. Then I spake unto them of the captivity, all the things that the Lord had showed me. <laughs> My God. So if you'll read chapter 11, I mean chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11, what you're going to see beginning with chapter 8 is a systematic removing of God's presence from his house. 
step by step, he begins to move his presence away. But just before the wrath is poured out, the last thing that Ezekiel sees is God's presence completely leaves the temple and goes and comes to rest on the Mount of Olives, which we'll talk about even more. How do you know it's the Mount of Olives, Brother Marty? Because it's the mountain, verse 23, which is on the east side of the city. That's the Mount of Olives. And and that's where he goes and his spirit goes just before it leaves. And once his presence was removed from his temple, which was a physical representation of the church of that time, the spirit is removed, and all that is left is for the wrath of God to come. Once the spirit is removed, now why did the spirit leave? He left because he was replaced by a backslidden ministry, right? He was replaced by all kinds of idolatry and wickedness and corruption amongst those that were supposed to be his church. And ultimately, he wasn't even welcome in his own church anymore. We see the same picture of Jesus, right, in in the church of Laodicea, standing on the outside, knocking on the door. We see that happen here. So the first wrath begins by God removing his presence. From his church. Mm. The second time the wrath of God is going to come, the same thing happened. Jesus removed himself hundreds of years later from the second temple. Would you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in Matthew 23? Yes. This Mount Zion where you have dwelt. What Asaph was revealing is incredible. He's revealing all these things we're now looking at. So in Ezekiel's time, God removed his presence from his temple, and then came the wrath. In Jesus' time, Jesus does the same thing. He is the presence of God. He removed himself from the temple. Would you check that out, Brother Jeremy? And read us 23, verse 38 and 39. Yes. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So it's after that the that the ruling religious elite and the people rejected Jesus, the chief priest, just like in Ezekiel's day. This is the second time. He had been there three and a half years. He'd been ministering. They reject him. What does he do? He does the same thing his father did because wrath is now their their destiny. I mean, that's ultimately what's going to happen to them now. So here's the second temple. Jesus begins by removing himself from the house, right, and proclaiming to them, your house is desolate. And remember in Ezekiel's time, what did the Lord do? He went from out of the house. He left the house, left it desolate, void of his presence. He then goes to the Mount of Olives, right? He rests on the Mount of Olives. Look what Jesus does in verse 3 of chapter 24 after he proclaims their house is desolate. Read verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And then he goes into revealing everything to them. And, and and so the presence is left, and then the presence goes and sits on the Mount of Olives in Ezekiel's day. And Ezekiel says, 
Now I'm back in captivity, and I tell them everything that I just saw. I begin to unfold the, you know, the future of what God has just shown me is coming, this wrath that's coming upon the city. And now in Jesus' time, he does the same thing. In the bodily presence yeah. of the Lord himself, he calls the house desolate. In other words, the Spirit of God has left it again, and he goes to the Mount of Olives and sits there and speaks to his disciples about what the Lord has showed him about the end of the world. There remains one more. And and yes. this is what we're we're gonna look at. Because there remains a final wrath. And and remember yes. what we're looking at with each wrath, judgment begins with his people first. And it's followed by wrath on the ungodly. Right? There was yes. judgment on Pharaoh uh and, and, and Egypt after and then Israel is, is taken out, right? He's taken out. There's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon. And, and his people are let out. Uh, and, and then there is one that's coming, though. Because the wrath that came from the Roman Empire uh, scattered the church throughout the four corners of the world. But Rome has yet to be judged. Egypt was judged. Babylon was mm -hmm. judged. But Rome was never judged. Because right. what the scripture, right, what the scripture reveals to us is there is coming a future judgment but on the whole world this time, not just in a geographical territory that claims to be the whole world, because it only covered the known world of that time. But this wrath is coming on a system that engulfs the whole world and that turns to persecute the sheep of his pasture. All Notice nations. after, yes, all nations, like you started out talking about today. Notice after the Lord removed his presence, something happened. Remember when he removed his presence, he sent the Holy Spirit to us, right? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Something happened. The difference between what happened in the time of the Babylonian removing of the presence and then Jesus removing and proclaiming the house of Israel desolate in A.D. 70, the difference is, is that the, both presence, the Father was carried by the cherubim and the chariots of God up into heaven. The Son is carried by the angels from the Mount of Olives when he ascends into heaven. But this time, he sends his presence back into his church. Though Jerusalem and the second temple is going to be destroyed, a new temple is being constructed. And he sends the Holy Spirit to his new church that was born on the day of Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Yes. After, after the Lord removed his presence from Israel of that time, something happened. He sent his Holy Spirit. The new church is born on the day of Pentecost. The judgment came in A.D. 70, and the wrath was poured on on the backslidden Jews. But there remains a wrath yet to be poured out on the heathen on the very Roman Empire and, and its beast system from which the Antichrist is coming, the system of the false prophet, the whole world. Egypt and Babylon were judged. The Roman system is yet to be judged. It has to resurrect in order to be judged. And that's what's happening right now. That's what we're witnessing in our time. A third wrath is coming, and the pattern is right. going to hold out, right? The pattern will hold out. Remember, go ahead, brother. No, finish your thought, Brother Marty. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll comment something else. I was going to say, remember the Lord left Judah, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And then remember, the Lord Jesus left Israel. <laughs> there remains one thing that is holding everything at bay still. And that time is drawing near. The Lord once again is going to withdraw his presence from his temple. That's what's revealed to us. Only this temple is made up of both Jew and Gentile. And what will happen is that the Holy Spirit himself is going to withdraw himself from the church that falls away. We're witnessing that right now. The systematic removing of God's presence from his church is happening right before our eyes. The false church, it has to go. And before we, we look at, at the scripture to proof text that, uh, what were you going to say, Brother Jeremy? No, it, it goes on the same line. You you, you said it. Uh, I, I couldn't have said it better, brother. Uh, exactly. Uh, exactly what you just said, brother. It, it was good. And, and in, in many ways, it's happening here in America. If we can't see it, yes. <laughs> if we can't put yeah. two and two together, there's a there's uh -huh. a removal of God's presence that is taking place out of our nation, or yeah. what we call a hedge, right? A yeah. hedge that that actually tomorrow we're going to have 19 years ago. When 2001, which was a sign of, mm. of a hedge being removed from our country, you know, and so it's been systematically, progressively just removing God's presence. Where where now it's, you know, it's um, America's not what it used to be for sure, and, and we not can definitely all. see that the presence of God is is being removed. Uh, I agree, from our and country. you know, brother, what you were just saying there made me think about. Uh, in, in both instances, both in, in 587 B.C. and in A.D. 70, which we were talking about the judgment that came upon the Jews in Jerusalem, in both instances, the the religious class uh, joined itself to the political class, right? The, the people of God joined themselves to the political class. That happened in, 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 in uh, A.D., uh, I mean, in B.C., right, when Zedekiah... And those kings, just before the wrath was poured out, and the priests, they hooked up in yeah. obedience to a political system, which was Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then when we get to AD 70, at the time of Christ, after he was rejected by his people, it, it's the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, and, and the high priests, they're hooked up uh, to the Roman Empire. They're the ones who go and yeah. seek permission in order to uh, kill Jesus, man. And they're also the ones who said in John chapter, I think it was 10 or 11 in there when it was in the Lazarus incident where they got all freaked out and said, look, we got to kill this guy. It's better than he dies. Then the Romans will take away our, our privilege, our position. So they joined themselves to, to Caesar's rule. In both cases, we see a backslidden church fully comfortable uh, ma maneuvering itself uh, amongst the spirit of the age and the political class in order to to uh, preserve its own existence. We see the same thing happening right now in the West, but specifically uh, amongst the church in the United States that has so, the backslidden church I'm talking about, that has so once again identified itself with the political ruling class. Go ahead, brother. Good, brother. No, that's good. Uh, and we see a money. picture. We see a picture of that with uh, the, the the false prophet and the antichrist. Uh, you know, the false prophet representing this this pseudo spiritual leader of a 
uh, apostate worldwide church, right? It's religious in nature, and then we have the Antichrist as a political man um, yeah. together, That's right? Good. And so, and so we're we're seeing. So what we have to see is a an, an apostate church break away from uh, the true faith, right? You spoke about the imminent signs uh, of, of yes. the coming of the Lord, right, and the and the revelation of the Antichrist. Uh, and then we have to see uh, 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 the nations of the world, right, uh, come against, in, combined with an apostate church, the nations of the yeah. world politically, combined with an apostate church, come against the true church of God, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when Asaph says that that they that his the, the sheep of his pasture are the are the rod of his inheritance. God's people are the measuring uh, stick um, of 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 how how the apostate church in in connection and in combination with the the nations of the world deal with God's people mm-hmm. in the end times is yeah. what's going to bring about the wrath of God. Yes, yes. Does that does that make sense? So Absolutely. we yeah. have to see the merging. We have to see the the merging of these two things take place. We have to see an apostate church that breaks away from from the faith, and we have to see the rise of the spirit of antichrist in the world politically. The two merging together, uh, personified by the antichrist and the false prophet in the last days, will come against the church, but the church is the measuring stick of how God will deal with the world. That's his rod yeah. of correction. And how they deal with the church in these last days, the apostate church. Because an attack is going to come from the apostate church to the true church. We know it's coming yeah, from yeah. the world already. Jesus said yeah. it. You will be hated of all nations. That spirit is alive and well right now. But we're, 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 we need to see the separation now of this apostate church in these last days that will merge together, as you've been talking about, Brother Marty, uh, with 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 an affiliating itself with politics, right? Yeah. And and yeah. then they they're gonna come against the church, right? But yeah. that is what's going to bring the wrath of God. And that's what we yeah. see in the fifth and sixth seal. Right? We see that's martyrdom right. in the fifth seal in Revelation six, and then we see the reply to that of God. Okay, how you yeah. deal with my people? You martyred them. And you know what's coming? The sixth seal, wrath of God. That's right. interesting. You you mentioned the, the fifth and sixth seal because uh, how Asaph began his psalm, Psalm 74, 1, is, oh, oh, God, you know, will you cast us off forever? In other words, how long, right? How long is this? Because that's what he goes on to say. Brother Jeremy, could you read that to us in verse 10 of seventy four ten? Yes. It says, oh, God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Now we know what he's referencing there is the Antichrist and his system. Because as we'll get into this in the coming days, we've gone really deep today. But when we come, and much of it, you know, won't be easily understood. But we encourage you to take your time through these things and go through the scriptures where, and let the Holy Spirit reveal these things by the scripture. But what Brother Fernando was just pointing out there, it echoes uh, the very same words that Asaph uses in verse 10. How long, O Lord? In Revelation uh, 5 or 6, or you were just quoting, 
I think it's chapter five or six. Let me take a look here. Uh, at the opening of the seals where, where this persecution comes, what we see is is uh, the same the same thing as lamented. Can you read verse 10 again to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes, 74. Oh God. Okay. Oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? And we hear the same cry uh, after the opening of the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, yes. <laughs> holy and true, yes. dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Asaph is seeing that. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, <laughs> Focus presence, man. Man, it's powerful. My Lord. My mind. This is incredible what he's revealing to us uh, because yes. it's the insight in, into our time and, and, and what is happening. And that's why we come to this third thing. This third, There's a wrath that is waiting to be poured out. There's three wraths of God that will, that are predicted to occur. The first one was on Judah. The second one was on Israel as a whole, a regathered Israel in AD 70 for rejecting the son of the living God. And the final one uh, will come upon an apostate church that has joined itself to the system. Just like Judah was was joined uh, politically to, to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire to preserve itself, ultimately ending in the destruction of Judah. And just like Israel joined itself and obeyed the Roman Empire in AD 70, ultimately was destroyed. So this final church that is emerging now, and we know that, like Brother Fernando was describing, because what we see is an apostate church joining itself to political power. It already happened in the West. That is why you have churches throughout Western Europe and Eastern Orthodoxy that are nothing but mausoleums and you know monuments to 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 to, to, to a system that long ago lost the presence of God. The final and 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 last piece to the puzzle that will bring the church into complete apostasy is this American church. It's the last yeah. thing that remains. It's the only thing right. in the West that remains to be absolutely uh, backslid. We're seeing like it in now. the way. It's in the way. This this nation's in the way. Yes. And so there has to come a removing of the presence, just like there was a removing of the presence we quoted in Ezekiel, just like there was a removing of the Son of the Living God and His presence, like we quoted in Matthew. He removed Himself, proclaiming the house to be desolate. And now there must be one last one. And what we are witnessing by that, what Asaph seems to be implying there, is that first the father would be rejected. That's what we saw in, in, in Judah's time. He was rejected. He removed his presence from the house and went up into heaven in, in the chariots of God from the Mount of Olives. The second one to be rejected was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who removed himself after three and a half years of public ministry to the Israel of that time, thereby leaving the second temple desolate. He goes to the Mount of Olives, and ultimately he goes into heaven in the book of Acts, chapter 1, from the Mount of Olives like his father had years before. He removes his presence. Then right. he sends the Holy Spirit to a new temple, 
made up of both Jew and Gentile, which would be scattered to the four corners of the earth, and that holy temple filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit would become what it would become for over 2,000 years until the time that that it would fall away, because that temple itself will be defiled by the removing first of the presence of the Holy Spirit it then creates a false church, and what's indicative of it is it becomes, just like in Ezekiel's day, corrupt, absolutely filled with idolatry, adultery, uh, abortion, uh, homosexuality. Go down the list. It was all present. The same in Jesus' mm-hmm. time, an absolute rejection of, 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 of the authority of the Son of God in its life for greed right. and for gain and for political power. And all of it will be present again, and it will it will cause the Spirit of God to withdraw himself. Up until now, he's been restraining the Antichrist full measure of his manifestation. But when he removes that presence, that Mount Zion where you hast dwelt the third and final time, that is when the trigger uh, sets in motion the final days that will lead to the ultimate wrath of God being poured out upon a reconstituted Roman system and a false church. Go ahead, brother. So they rejected the Father. They rejected the Son. But they also rejected the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. That's why the gospel went to the Gentiles, right? They rejected three of them already. And it's been, you know, moving within the Gentiles. But, um, yeah, they rejected three of them. But when this final apostasy occurs, it is the church itself that will reject the yes. Holy Spirit. The je- That's yes. what we see happening yes. right now. Because exactly. the church itself mm-hmm. is rejecting the Holy Spirit. Paul talked about it in very practical terms, but he was speaking in, in a much more deep and incredibly hidden way when he talked to the Corinthians about joining your body to a harlot. Do you remember? And he said, how can you join your body to a harlot? How can the temple of the Lord be merged with with a harlot? Mm. Right? And and if you can see it and hear it, that is exactly what is happening to to the false church. By joining itself to the spirit of Babylon, that harlot, it, it it therefore rejects the Holy Spirit and he is taken out of the way. And when that happens, this is what Paul goes on to say. Can you read that to us, brother Jeremy, in chapter 2 of Thessalonians? And that's the uh, falling away, right? That's the falling away, yes. This is the third and final one, this kind of falling away. There's always judgment and correction, right? But wrath yeah. is a whole different so the, story. So the tri- yeah, and the triggering point is not so much the mess we see in the in the world that's that's drawing the coming of the Lord closer. Uh, scripture tells us it's a falling away of God's people. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yes. That, right? That's what yes. you're saying. It, the world's yeah. going to be the world, but there has to be this triggering point, this sign, this imminent, uh, this sign that, that, that tells us that his coming is imminent. Right? Yeah. And the revealing of, of the son of perdition as well, when he's revealing yeah. in, in, his, in his time. But that's what, is going on here. That's what we're paying attention to. That's what's happening in, here in, in America. Yes. Falling away of the church is taking place. And why that's so church. important, Brother yeah. Fernando, like we're saying, why that is so vitally important 
to understand and, and we're and we're and we're comparing scripture with scripture here and we're seeing the pattern unfold in fullness in our time. Why that what you just said is so important is because it is for the West the final piece of the puzzle that has to be removed. A church can still exist, but it's apostatized. And and and, yeah. and that's that's what's going to bring the wrath as you're saying. But until that church gave itself to the world, the American church is what we're saying. And and until it becomes the habitation of devils in every foul and hole of every unclean spirit, which is happening right now, then that system of the Antichrist can't have its full expression. But the generation that would see it, mm-hmm. the scripture was implying mm-hmm. that that should trigger the sheep of his pasture to understand the wrath of God is coming. And that we have to come out from among her, right? As if you read the book of Revelation, you come out from among her. Why? That you be not partaker of her sins. Don't don't yes. be all up in what she does, or receive of her plagues. The judgment that's right. Coming. She's going to, right. She's going to be burned with fire. So what we see is what the apostle Paul predicted: that the only thing restraining in the end of time is is first there's there's a couple events that have to take place. And read that to us in verse 1 through 3, would you, Brother Jeremy? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, let no man deceive you by any means, for that the day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So he first thing he says is, and it's interesting because in verse 1 he talks about the coming of the Lord, and then he talks about the gathering together, right, to him. That's his church being caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the in the heavens, like the Bible predicts. It's interesting he calls it the gathering together. I find it just on a little side note, they're interesting that Asaph's name means gatherer, right? <laughs> so right. I I I really I really think that wasn't by accident, right? Is that this whole psalm, this whole brother is called gatherer, that much of what he talks about is is the culmination of all things in the gathering of God's people unto himself again. And so we have here him telling them in the first century, wait a minute, Jesus ain't coming yet. There's so much history that needs to unfold, Paul says. So don't be freaking out. He was telling them back then. You know, don't let anyone tell you whether it's by a letter or, or what they're preaching to you or, or any other spirit um, that, that the day of Christ is at hand. He says, don't let anybody deceive you. He says, that day is not going to come away except, and then he begins to identify, there's a falling away first, which is what we are seeing. And he says, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's talking about the Antichrist. The two are connected. The one gives way to the other, right? But we still haven't seen the presence removed. Hmm. But it's beginning. Now read verse 7, because this is what he calls the mystery of iniquity. And this is where the presence is removed. Verse 7, would you read that, Brother Jeremy? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now let it will let 
until he be taken out of the way. And then what? Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall continue consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's his wrath, right? So he, he lays this thesis out to us in verse 1. And he begins to say there are certain identifying things that you're going to have to pay attention to, and it's not going to happen until the far-flung future, he tells the early church. He says at that time, there's going to come a falling away or a removing of the church from walking in established scriptural orthodoxy will occur. They'll begin to, to have false doctrines and all kinds of crazy stuff, lying wonders and signs and miracles and all that stuff is what they'll be focused on. An evil and adulterous generation, Jesus says, seeketh after a sign. That's what we see running rampant in the so-called church, the visible church today. There is, the falling away has already occurred. It's just simply getting worse by the day. But that falling away, he says, is making way for the man of sin, that, that wicked one, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. It's, it, it is alerting us. But see, that falling away also occurred in the other two previous uh, outpourings of the wrath. But it wasn't until the presence was removed that the wrath would ultimately come. That presence is his spirit. And that's what we see in verse 7, that the only thing that is keeping back this revelation of the Antichrist, this, that wicked one, is the spirit of God that yet remains in the church. But it has been systematically being removed from Western society in our time, and it has come to rest finally on these shores, the last vestiges of what once was a great expression of the church is now in the last days of its throes of death, as it will be completely given over to the spirit of the age. And the only thing holding it back, he says, is the taking out of the way of the spirit of the living God, the removing of his presence, then, he says, the wicked one will be revealed. Then we'll fully see him in all his, his demonic, you know, glory, if you want to call it that way. But the promise of this is now when the third and final wrath will come. It's all been leading to this since the days yeah. of Adam and Eve, <laughs> right? It's all been and, leading to this. And so the apostasy... See- the apostasy has begun, right? Like you said. So yeah. what has happened in the, in, in the intermediate uh, part of, of this process as, as it will give way to the man of sin? Well, what's, what's being done right now is the great abomination. Okay? The abomination is taking place. What is that? Well, it's, it's the replacing of, of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with another Christ, with another Messiah, we're putting yes. something else instead of him. This, listen, listen to what we're saying here. This is what the church in America is committing. It is in process of committing great abomination. My God. Think about that. And we are replacing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with something else. Another Jesus, right? Another Jesus. It's in the process. We, that's what we are attempting to commit, and we are making no bones about it. We can see it. They're telling you. 
Those are the messages that are coming out of your pulpit or out of most pulpits in America. Yes. Right? And then that will give way to the man of sin. So the, the, the great abomination has to take place, right? And, and, that's and, a deep, and yeah, that's a deep thought yeah. there, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but but that's that's always that's the pattern. That's the pattern. That's why God yeah. sent his wrath. Right? Yeah. Because God's people replaced him. They removed him, they re- and his spirit had to leave because we were reject. His people were rejecting him. That's what we see in the book of Ezekiel. His spirit doesn't want to leave, but is forced to leave because another yes. idol, yes, has replaced his presence in the temple. Right? And if you, if you yeah. read on, that's that's what it tells you. So that that's what's taking place. The apostasy is, has already begun. We are we are committing the abomination of abominations that brings desolation. That's the wrath of God. Yeah. The destruction the of God. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah, read yeah. that, Brother Jeremy. Would you again, uh, chapter two, verse three and four, because that's what Brother Fernando's talking about. Three and four. Of uh Thessalonians two, right? Yes. Yes. Let no man let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposed it and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Incredible. So what we see, uh, what Brother Fernando was just describing there is exactly what, what, what Paul is revealing to the early church concerning the final church. He says they're going to remove God. They're going to fall away first. There's a moral decline. That's really what it is. It, it's, it's the standards of, of, uh, of holiness that the church should be exhibiting. There will be over a process of time a removing not only of the moral character and quality of the church the visible church but also the the altering of god's word a removing from orthodoxy the established uh framework of the gospel itself will be diluted and remolded and repackaged that's all wrapped up in that falling away it brings great corruption and and it sets in motion that man of sin being revealed, who then, because of the removing of the presence of God from the visible church, it still remains in his the sheep of his pasture, like Asaph was saying. Uh, but the removing of that presence of, of God from those who fall away, they become the generation of his wrath. And in this sense, it says that the enemy is going to come and sit in the temple of God. The old timers used to say that that temple was an actual rebuilt third temple. I'm really not sure anymore uh, if that's actually going to happen. I think it might. I think it will, you know, as it pertains to the Jews, because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for an actual physical third temple to be rebuilt, and it's possible that this one will set up an image of himself, just like Antiochus Epiphanes did back in the day. (laughs) Read your history. You'll see what we're talking about in the days of the Maccabees. He did the same thing in Jerusalem. He he defiled God's temple by setting up an image of Zeus and the Holy of Holies. 
So it, 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 it was a foreshadow of the Antichrist. But this sitting in the temple, comparing Scripture with Scripture in the New Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is the church. So the false church who has the Spirit removed from it has a vacancy. And it, it, it seems to imply that the spirit of Antichrist will come to rest within a backslidden church. Incredible. And that he will set himself up there. We ain't got time to go into all this, but there, there. <laughs> but let me tell you something. This whole talk about, you know, the mark of the beast and the worshiping of his image and all that kind of stuff. This false church is going to fully accept that. There's even preachers that have been preaching, well-established, known preachers in the country. Uh, was yeah. One in particular who who preached a message just recently saying that that we could take the mark of the beast and be forgiven. He's an idiot. He's a false prophet. That's demonic. But right. what is this mark? What meshes a false church with the devil? It is a received technology. And it is incredible to me that we have evolved, and I may be putting a lot of people out in, in tilt right now because we've been going at it for a while. But let's just leave it with this, is that what that implies, the mark of the beast, is some sort of technology that connects or makes humanity a collective that is ruled by the influence of of the of, of of Satan himself, he takes full possession of the clay vessels we call our bodies. But there there appears to be a technology involved, which is what is called the mark of the beast. It is in the forehead or in the right hand. But in some sense, it's quite possible this whole push towards artificial intelligence. And 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 the the proclamation coming out of Silicon Valley of their moving headlong at an exponential rate into creating a system that literally becomes conscious all its own, a sentient force, an alive, not machine thing, but an actual spirit. At the same time, you have those boys over there in CERN, Switzerland, you know, underground. Uh, trying to open dimensions uh, in their particle physics accelerator, the Large Hadron Collider, they call it. You've got all of these events happening at the same time of the falling away of the church, and there seems to be a meshing where the literal spirit of Antichrist will come and sit in the temple of of God, not only a physical temple in Jerusalem, but the collective temple that through a decline over time of its morality and and the deconstruction of the orthodox gospel makes way uh, for another spirit to overtake it, and that is what the Bible is predicting. And that is what Asaph sees. And that is what shakes him to his core, and he begins to proclaim what we've been teaching. He concludes with this. Can you read verse 3, and we'll close. We'll pick it up here tomorrow. In verse 3, Brother Jeremy, 74-3. Oh, 74-3, yes. Mm-hmm. It says, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy had done wickedly in 
the sanctuary. So he concludes after we've talked about everything we've talked about, man. He then says, lift up your feet, which is really uh, an, an interesting thing uh, because it, it, what he's saying is, okay, now I want you to bring your feet quickly down from heaven to the earth. He's asking God and appealing to God. But what's interesting is the word feet, he's asking him to do it three times because that's what the word in Hebrew means. Isn't that right? You guys have been studying this too. Feet, it literally means one time, two times, three times lift up your feet. In other words, three times bring your judgment down and your wrath down as a result of everything we've been talking about this morning that Asaph was shown. And so we have had the Lord lift up his feet twice. We've seen it happen in, in the Babylonian time. We saw it happen in the first century under Rome. There remains one more bringing down of the foot of God on not just a territory, but on the entire planet. Jesus is coming to judge. And the, and the one thing I wanted to say, like we talked about earlier, remember this. And this is really powerful. We were talking about the captives, the sheep of his pasture. In in the first judgment, uh, the captives were taken captive, but they were let out by the father, right? The father let out the original captivity out to come back and rebuild Jerusalem. What about in Jesus' time? Was there a captivity-led captive? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, he went down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? He went down into the lower parts of the earth, and he led captivity captive. Well, there remains a captivity yet to be taken captive. That's the rapture of the church. That's the true church, because there is we are the captives of this end time world, and all this horrible stuff that's about to come. The Holy Spirit is going to take us away. He's going to lead us captive. He's going to take his church. We are not appointed under wrath. And that's why Asaph said, do you pour out your wrath on your sheep? The answer is no. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. Any final thoughts, brother? Well, as the cartoon Looney Tunes would end, that's all, folks. For today. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But you know, I know we've we've covered a lot today, and it's 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 a lot uh, more in depth and involved than we usually get on these podcasts. But I have a sense, and I know you do, my brothers too, that we are we are accelerating at a pace now toward these things. You know, I was asking the Lord recently. Um, Lord, are, are we just blowing hot air here, you know? I mean, are, are are we really hearing from you? Because sometimes I listen to other people or I'll, or I'll look at something that I see happen and I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe we're we're not, you know, you hear these prophets or you hear preachers in the church saying, you know, no, it, it ain't that way or, you know, it, you know the, the great days are ahead of us, all that stuff. And and I was reading this morning. See if I can find it before we close real quick. Ezekiel went through the same thing. And the Lord told him, uh, let me see here. Yeah, let's see. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel 13, verse 3. He says, uh, 
verse 1, start with verse, he says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say unto them that they prophesy out of their own heart. And he says, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. You've not gone up into the gaps, and neither have you made up a hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord has not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have you not seen a vain vision? Have you not spoken a lying divination? Whereas you say, the Lord saith, albeit I have not spoken. And that is what I believe he is saying to the church in America right now. They're calling for this big prayer meeting on September the 26th in Washington, D.C., some of the biggest named preachers in the country. For what? God said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. We don't want to talk about mm. that. Right. We just want to, we want to gather, and, and, and you want to overturn everything that's happened over the last 50 years in this country and its backslidden church in one day? You're going to do that in one day? Are you kidding and me? without repentance? <laughs> without repentance. Without true repentance. That's what we need right. is true repentance. And, and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel saw it. He, he was questioning the Lord, what what about these guys? Because they're saying the complete opposite. And he says, they haven't, I haven't sent them. So take heart in what you're hearing. Jesus is at hand. The coming of the Lord is closer now than when we first believed. The signs are around us. If your eyes are open and your ears can hear, you feel and sense in the very depth of your being, something is different about what we're going through. This is not like the rest of days. Don't let them tell you, well, you know, the world's always been through this. There's always seasons like this. Don't listen to that foolishness. It hasn't always been like this. Yes, there's been times of great turmoil and so forth and so on. But all the things that the scripture says would be in place just prior to the uh, advent of, uh, of the coming of that wicked one and the return of the Lord, for the first time in my 60 years, I'm almost 60 years old now, uh, I have never seen what we are seeing right now. And I'm a student of history. I'm not a great scholar, but I know enough to know it ain't ever been like this. This has been coming. For decades now, and it has come to rest on our shores. And those of you who have ears to hear, for Jesus said, My sheep, the sheep of my pasture, they hear my voice, and another they will not follow. Even so, come quickly, Lord, is our prayer. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Amen, Brother Jeremy. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It is something truly happening. My aunt told me yesterday, who lives in San Francisco, she says, I lived here 40 years. And I've never seen what I saw yesterday morning at 1030. It looked like it was still dark outside because of the fires. Wow. wow. So, you know, the things that are happening are things that we've never seen. You know, yeah. God is speaking, church. God is speaking. And uh, we pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue in our journey 
on Psalm 74 of what the Lord revealed to Asaph. We pray that you've been blessed. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.